Well, welcome everyone to another episode of the Life Money You podcast. I'm Bjorn, and I am very, very excited to welcome back my good friend, Joe Stikes, back to the Life Money You podcast. Joe, welcome back. It's been about a month, I think, since we were together, but welcome back. Yeah, Bjorn, thank you so much for having me on the podcast. Looking forward to chatting with you over the next uh, 45-ish minutes. This is going to be fun. Yeah. So Joe is back to talk about the latest book that we have reviewed, read through, and now we're going to review together, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. But Joe, before we get into that, we were chatting before we started recording here, and today we're going to switch it up on our audience, and we're going to actually have dueling jokes to see who gets the most applause and laughter after their joke. So how about I get us started and then Let's you can it. uh we'll just Absolutely. see how much laughter there is from our listening audience so joe where does 007 invest his money oh where does double i i have no idea in the bond market <laughs> give me a golf clap right there that golf was clap, good golf clap golf clap nice it's bond okay it's pretty All good right, my I've friend got, that's pretty good all right, Bjorn, I know up. that you are a golf aficionado, so I figure that this joke might really hit you. But when you go golfing, why is it important to wear two pairs of socks? I don't know. Well, you might get a hole in one. Oh, oh my. <laughs> oh, boy. Here we go. Well, if you would like to vote on which of these jokes was your favorite joke, please reach out to us at lmy at bcu.org and let us know. <laughs> but nice joke. I like it. I have never gotten a hole-in-one before, actually, by the way. I've been very close, but have not had the joy of doing that. So someday, have you gotten a hole-in-one before? So, Bjorn, the golf that I really enjoy, it's a version of golf. It's called, what is it, mini golf. And uh, uh, let me yes. tell you, I think I've gotten maybe one hole in one ever during mini golf. But okay. no, I've golfed a few times and I would say nowhere near getting a hole in one. But it is one of those personal goals for 2024 is just to get better at golf. Yeah, um, And I do believe for those golfers out there that can correct me, when you do get a hole in one, I believe that you're on the hook for purchasing lunch for the group that you're with. Is that part of the... Uh, Part of yep. the hole-in-one activities? Lunch, drinks, uh, snacks, whatever your playing partners want, I think, is kind of how it has to has to work. But when you were growing up, did you ever watch the, like, I used to be really into Sports Center, and I'd, I'd watch it, like, all the time when I was younger on ESPN. And oftentimes when there was nothing else on, the two things that would be on TV when there was nothing else literally to be on sports-wise was bowling. And then the other one was professional mini golf. Did you ever watch wow. professional mini golf on TV? No, I, I have not. <laughs> you were too cool. Now, you I, were too cool. Yes, you were too cool. You were too busy doing more meaningful things than me sitting down oh, and watching nonsense. professional mini golf. But yes, if you want to have a laugh over the holiday season, go on to YouTube and look up professional mini golf and you'll see middle-aged men in baggy, nice clothing because that was the style back then being very, very, very intense about mini golf and pretty much getting a hole in one in every single hole and it's pretty fun to watch they're very very into it and i it's a good laugh so no, highly recommend it i, <laughs> check I appreciate it out. that 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 is something i will definitely track down bjorn thank you check it out okay so we are here today to talk a little bit more about a book that we both listen to because we, we've told you a lot about audible and that's how we've been able to get through so many of these great books and this is actually one that i've wanted to read my i mean like most of my life i've heard of this book i've always heard it referenced in the personal finance space and i just have gravitated toward other books but the book is called Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And I'm sure many listening have heard of this book and have been interested in listening to it or reading it and have probably even you know given it a shot. But it's one of those 
kind of classics, maybe you could call it in the personal finance space. So it's kind of hard to get a classic in this space. But Robert Kiyosaki is the author and he kind of talks through basically like a kind of a long story, essentially, of his life. And just to give a super quick summary, he has sort of two father figures in his life. And he describes one as a rich dad, one as a poor dad. And he talks about different lessons that he learned along the way. And so it's kind of fun. I mean, he has just like some key takeaways. So we're going to walk through some of those today. But maybe just before we even jump into any details, Joe, I just wanted to get your like overall thoughts about the book. What'd you think? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I will say, Bjorn, this book, The Rich Dad Poor Dad, I believe it is a 20th year anniversary. And this is also a book that I have been meaning to read for many years. And it just worked out that we're able to go ahead and read it together on Audible. And this was at a one point two speed. So oh, I can nice. kind of get okay. through a little bit, not 1.5. I wanted to really slow it down and understand what was being said. And I will say there were some times that I was able to go ahead and rewind because it was just so impactful. But really, I really enjoyed this book. I think there's a lot of different antidotes in here that everyone can use in their everyday life. Totally. A lot of different trains of thought in this book. And it really got me thinking about how I think about finance and the way that I view money and that I can, you know, can use money in a different way. So I really impactful. So for anyone who hasn't read it, I would totally recommend take a couple hours out of your day, a couple days, and then read it. It really was impactful. Yeah, he kind of takes a, a shot at rethinking, I think, pretty much how the entire American life is set up. You know, I mean, that's maybe like a really big thing to claim right now, but he really challenges the general concepts that I think a lot of us grow up believing and thinking about money and what role money plays in our life and how we should be thinking about it. And I think one of the most sort of impactful ones that he talked about was that rich people sort of make money work for them in a way, and poor people work for money. It was something like that. And so yeah. that was one of my kind of key takeaways was I actually honestly had to really listen hard to sort of get what he was trying to say there. But he was talking about how his rich dad basically at a young age taught him and his friend that, you know, they should be basically creating companies. They should be creating, you know, situations where they're actually able to have employees and pay other people. And that money's sort of in a way kind of all working for them rather than or over the, the sort of concept that most of us follow, which is just like, go to school, get a degree and go work in that field and work really hard and just kind of do that your entire life. He's challenging that concept and saying you should invest in things that actually earn income or you should build companies and basically make your money work for you. And it sounds great, but did you have any takeaways off of that concept or anything else that kind of stood yeah. out to you right I, off the bat? And right off the bat, there was the two, I would say the two people in his life, the rich dad and the poor dad. It also made me think about how I was approaching these thoughts. So, and again, to your point, you know, the poor dad was the one who has a steady job, who has the education, who wanted to be in the safe area in life, so to speak. And then the rich dad was the one with very little education. I would say really worked from the ground up to get where he was at. And it's just two completely different trains of thought. And it really just made me stop and think like, wow, I relate so much to the poor dad that it really yeah. made me just kind of take a pause and just write down a couple thoughts about what direction do I really want to go in? So it, yeah. it was very interesting. So yeah, that is the key takeaway. And then even just to have two different perspectives and outlooks as you go through life to have 
these kind of mentors, I think, is uh, something that not everyone gets to have. And that also made me think about, wow, I do need more mentorship in my life also. I, I think that to have different perspectives is nothing but a good thing. Joe, what did you think about just kind of the mentality that he has throughout the whole book where, I mean, it kind of comes off like he's basically just claiming that having more money is better. That's kind of one of my takeaways. I don't know if that was what he was trying to necessarily communicate, but that was just, you know, one takeaway I guess I had out of that. And so just curious, like what are your thoughts on that in particular as he fleshes that out in the book? You know, or or just in general, like as you think about your life. Because yeah. we've heard sort of the mo money, mo problems and we know that <laughs> Absolutely. people that win the lottery, yep. they blow it on things and they don't actually yep. have a happier life. And we we also know there's research that says I think once you start earning over, I think it's like 75000 in that range that yeah. you actually don't marginally get happier. It actually decreases your happiness as you make more. And so just let me know. I'd love to hear your, your thoughts. Yeah, on that. It, there was a lot about accumulating wealth and also generational wealth. So that was some of the themes that I had taken away. And when I think about just accumulating more money, I view money as a tool. And again, just because you have more money doesn't mean that you're going to have less problems in life. I think about the Wall Street movie movie. The, the term greed is good is one of the themes in the Wall Street movie. And there was a couple of references back to that specific term as we went through the book. And honestly, when it comes to money and it comes to greed, it's, it's you do have to have a level of greed and, and I would say almost selfishness when looking to accumulate money. And I think we can all take different viewpoints on that. You know, so what really works for you? What doesn't work for you? Personally speaking, I don't know that having, a, you know, a lot more money is going to significantly change the way I think about money. So that, that's the one part too. I think it's a holistic approach to life in general. It's, you know, you have money, but do you have time? And I think when you look at time versus money, sometimes I think time is way more valuable than money. So yeah. the book definitely stresses, you know, making more money, spending money to make money. That is the one of the parts of it where I just took a pause and really thought like, what do I want for me? Like, what am I going to take out of this book for me? Yeah, I would say that he does talk about how thinking in this way where you're trying to kind of have your money work for you, you're trying to be financially literate, like understand how money works. And he actually stresses that quite a bit in the book. He talks about how having financial education, having financial literacy and growing that skills is super important. And actually just having some basic knowledge of finance and accounting too can be quite helpful as you start to think about how to accumulate wealth. And I will give him credit for talking about time, like you just said, Joe. I mean, that is kind of the most valuable asset I think that we all have is time. We all have the same amount of time and there's not really a super easy way to value the time either. But if you're constantly thinking only in the sort of the common way of most Americans, which is just, I get up every day, I go to work, I work for eight to 10 hours, and then I go home and I try to save some of that. He's challenging that, which I think there's actually quite a bit of wisdom in that. And I love how he's, I guess, being countercultural maybe in a lot of ways and arguing that it's really more about how much money you keep. He talks about investing in assets that are producing income rather than sort of working and then acquiring liabilities, which is what most people do. They buy a house, they buy a car, they send their kids to college. I mean, these are all life things that a lot of us are doing on a regular basis, but we don't often think about putting money into things that are going to actually help us increase our income or diversify our income. I do think he's just to kind of finish the thought on time. I do think he's actually focusing it a bit on having more time, freeing up time so that you're you're not sort of forced to fit into the world system that's there because there are some other ways to approach it. So any thoughts 
on that or any other takeaways you had? That is funny. When I was thinking about the overall financial education and I was thinking about my son is currently in sixth grade right now. And I just think about the just overall education system and how that is the one piece that really isn't spent. A lot of time isn't spent on it with just financial education. And then people will go out in the world and work and then not have enough financial literacy. They might make a lot of money. They might have a lot of money, but it, it quickly leaves their hands just due to that fact. So that really stood out to me. And then the other thing is learning how to control your emotions when it comes to just money. He was talking about advising people to restrain their feelings of fear, greed, and impatience when dealing with money, when dealing with opportunities that come up. And one of the, I would say, the statements that really resonated with me is that self-discipline is a number one delineating factor between the rich, the middle class, and the poor. And that really stood out. Just thinking about how with self-discipline comes so much budgeting and sticking to your budget. So that really spoke to me. Yeah. And it made me look at myself too. look at my budget, look at how I, you know, the holidays are coming up. So it looks at you know, how, how am I spending for the holidays? Am I over my budget? Am I under my budget? So self-discipline really stood out to me, Bjorn. No, I think that was definitely one for me as well. Thinking through sort of how proactive and how reactive am I in life and in my financial life? You know, I think that's one that you see I, as a coach and expert in the space, I definitely see pretty wide range there of people. There's definitely a number of people who are always in reactionary mode where the world is happening to them and they just can never get ahead because they're always in a hole financially. They're paying off debt or they had to get that next thing and now it's somebody else's fault, you know, that that happened. And so that self-discipline and probably the ability to say no, <laughs> pretty tough one. We've made it so easy in our world. I mean, I can't remember the year, but you know, when McDonald's first started allowing customers to pay with credit cards, I think I heard, I mean, somewhere around the average bill doubled because wow. you just started yes. to slowly remove the exchange of money for goods. Now we've got this buffer zone of, you know, like 30 days before your statement is due where you can just swipe your card and nothing feels like it's happening other than you get the dopamine hit of getting the thing. And I find this super challenging with my kids to try to explain to them what's happening here because all they observe is I swipe a card, I keep the card, they don't really understand what's happening in the back end, and then I get the thing. And so in their minds, it's just this magical card you know, that just magically allows you to not get arrested when you walk out of a store. And yep. what I say to them verbally, hey, we have the money to pay for this, but I know it's quite hard to explain what's happening. And a couple of weeks ago, I said this actually in another podcast episode, but a couple of weeks ago, we had to shut our credit card down because we thought it was lost. And I had to use our debit card. And I mean, I know that there's a difference because I teach people this, but I honestly hadn't used a debit card in a while. I actually had like a check moment where no pun intended, I guess, but a moment of check where I, where I was, yeah. where I was, what are checks? Um, does anyone ever write checks anymore? Where I had to think, do I actually have the money? Cause it's going to come right out and I have to have the money available. And so there is something to be said about how, like the psychology of how we approach life and just having that self-discipline to make sure that you have the money to pay for things is it feels like a very obvious statement, but we know, and anyone listening probably has certain areas of your financial life where, you know, you're not thinking that way. You're kind of thinking like, 
pre-spending. And I know this time of year, if anybody has a job where they get, you know, like a year-end bonus or they know a bonus is coming, we have that at our organization. We've got some bonuses that happen in the early part of the year. It's hard to not pre-spend that money. I'm not going to lie. You know, you kind of have to, you're thinking like, okay, I'm guessing this is happening. And so I'm going to potentially pre-spend where that money's going. And so he just talks a lot about this, about how getting into this mindset of always working to live and always relying upon a paycheck not only makes it sort of hard to ever kind of get ahead in some cases, unless you're very self-disciplined. He also talks, Joe, a lot about like the fear that people feel about the importance of their jobs and how much of a role that job plays in their well-being. Because if they lose it, that can be like massively detrimental to their life. And so I don't know if you had yeah, any thoughts it, about that fear component, but he did, he I'd did, love to hear. He talked about fear quite a bit, but I will say with the debit card and the credit card, recently I had my son with me and I went to the ATM to pull out cash. Uh, I needed some cash. And he just noticed it and asked me about it like, dad, so you just put your card in and cash comes out. And it's funny that he doesn't see <laughs> that, you know, you go to work, you have a job, you know, you pay bills, you have that. So it's interesting as to what our children, what younger, the younger generation sees and they don't get the full picture of it. So that was interesting. But coming back to fear, it's funny. He had stated another one of my favorite quotes is winners are not afraid of losing, but losers are. Failure is part of the process and people who avoid failure also avoid success. And I would say that is where fear really comes in. So fear of losing your job, fear of, you know, am I going to make it to the next month with what I have in my savings? So there's a lot of emphasis around fear and how to combat fear also to, to different ways of looking at that and saying, hey, there's a lot of opportunity. The world is always handing you opportunities every day. You just have to go ahead and see those opportunities. But a lot of times we fail in that. I will say there's so many good quotes in this book, but fear definitely comes to the forefront. And I will tell you, Bjorn, it made me think about my life and about the way that I view different aspects when it comes to fear and it comes to opportunity, so to speak. That did speak to me, I will say. Yeah, because if you're kind of in like risk adverse fear mode where any change in your job situation could like totally tank your financial life, then you are in kind of a risky spot, ironically. It's kind of ironic, isn't it? Because you're yeah, you're it, trying to not be risky, but you're actually like putting a lot of eggs in one basket. So you actually are being more risky by kind of only relying upon one, we're just using job, but there could be other things that you include in this camp. And it would make you sort of less open to taking an opportunity. Like imagine if there was a little bit of a riskier opportunity where you had skills, but you had to take a pay cut or you had, to, I don't know, you had to invest money like in a personal business. You're going to you know start this up and you know it can work, but you know, there's a market for it. You know, there's a need for it, but you just can't get over the thought of having to take a pay cut. Or maybe you literally don't have a lifestyle that would allow you to flex and do that. So when he talks a lot about that idea of it's not about how much money you make, but how much money you keep, I definitely think yeah. there's some wisdom in there because that, Absolutely. That's, that what he's saying there is that you're always living below your means. You have enough self-discipline. And it doesn't have to always be just like living on beans and rice type of mindset, but it could mean that you actually are invested in things that are producing income for you. And his big one is real estate. That's a common one he talks about, but there are other things that you could invest in that increase your income too. You know, like it could be a side gig that you're doing in the evenings, or maybe you have someone in your financial household that's, you know, working a part-time job and that adds to the income, or maybe you get a certification at work and that bumps your income up and that allows you to make some more, but you either have to increase your income 
income or decrease your expenses. You can do either. Both can kind of be equally as challenging, I would argue, but both can be just as impactful because if you build that cushion, then you have some flexibility. And it's really about, like he's arguing, like what you do with that income, that cushion that you have that can make a pretty big difference on how you live your life. And Joe, I just, as you reflect on your life and you're kind of alluding to it a little bit, but how do you think like how we approach our day-to-day jobs and incomes and how we think about money? What influence does that have on on our life, I guess? Like what, what are some things that impact our life over time, you know, as you connect this with, I guess, how you've done your life and sounds like you've been rethinking some things a little bit too. Yeah, there's just a lot of thinking about looking outside the box. We all have a box where we put ourselves in when we, you know, go to school, have the school loans, get a good job, stay stable in a good job. And this book really showed me that it's okay to look outside the box. It's okay to see what else is out there, such as real estate, for example. And I will say Robert did talk quite a bit about real estate, but he also said that it was a game to him. So it was something that it was fun. And so I, you know, as I reflect on this, I'm thinking, what do I like and how can I look to build upon that or even monetize that in some way, shape or form that would benefit me, benefit my family, and not only this generation, but the future generations also. So it really opened my eyes, Bjorn. It really did. I had paused and a number of times I stopped it. I rewound it, audiobook, just to listen to it again, because it really was, it was quite impactful. That's the hard part too, right? We're so busy. Our day-to-day lives are so busy. We get up, we go to work, we have our jobs, we come home, family. There's no time to really take a pause and say, like, what do you like? What are you good at? What do you want to get involved with? You know, what can you do? And so I think that's what it showed me. That's what I've really been reflecting on, Bjorn, with this book. Yeah. He talked about like those three types of income. One is ordinary income that we earn. So just like that would be your day job. You know, you just work hours and get paid for those hours. Then there's portfolio income where you're investing in like the markets. And so that could be like your retirement income. That could be income that you're earning through just like a brokerage account that you have, different ways that you're just like investing money and getting dividends paid out or gains in stock shares, mutual fund shares, that kind of stuff. And then there's passive income. That's kind of the third one. And I think he argued that most people do one or two of those, which are usually the first two. They earn ordinary income through their job. They invest for retirement or maybe for some midterm types of things, depending on how much they have to invest. But the third one, that passive income, that's the one that most people don't pursue. And I think he's arguing both from a diversification standpoint is very smart to pursue, but also actually can help you build wealth and help you quite a bit over time. Because I mean, Joe, if you think about it, like imagine if like, imagine if we both owned like a apartment complex, right? And we took the risk of doing that. And then we had, I don't know, just call it a fourplex. So there's four people renting, we're paying all the bills and we're making some income. Over time, that can really start to add up. And if that's supplemental income that you're using and you're doing a good job of being self-disciplined and living below your means, yeah. that could free you up to put you in a situation where like if a, a somewhat riskier job opportunity came up or, you know, like you wanted to start a business and you had this idea and you wanted to give it a shot, you could maybe take some more risks. And so like we were saying earlier, I mean, I actually would argue you're being riskier, but you're actually thinking you're not risky by just sort of like working your day job and saving for the future and just sort of doing what every other person does. And I think that's actually one of maybe the hidden gems in the book is that he's actually arguing that his way is actually less risky.
risky because you're being more diversified and it can maybe free you up and actually give you more time back because you've got multiple income sources and you're not reliant upon just that one major source. So in some ways, it's very interesting how he's kind of pulled that theme through the book. Mm -hmm. And even though I'm not on board with just like more money is always better, I think that if you have more income sources, that could actually, you could argue is better because that allows you to have a freer life. You know, like you just don't have to rely upon any one place to be able to make ends meet. Yeah, having more time. And I will say that does come back to fear. So it does come back to the stepping outside the status quo, stepping in and looking at that and looking to put the money that you have in a secured spot now and invest it or put it to something that will make passive income. One of the other quotes that I really liked is often in the real world, it's not the smart who get ahead, but the bold. And I would totally agree with that. I have a number of friends who are, I would say, on the bolder side, and they just move forward. They look at barriers, they take these barriers down, and they are. They're in that passive income type of strategy. And it's great to look at, but it's fear. It's overcoming fear. And I think a lot of us, you know, we have the mindset of like, well, I can't, you know, I don't want to dip into that savings account. I, I, you know, I'm budgeting for that, which of course we always state is the best thing to have. But the fear of investing and reading about real estate and then also like just buying a parking lot, which was interesting to me, like just buying, you know, if you're able to buy that parking lot and then charge, that's going to be, you know, when we talk about passive income for years and years and years. So something that you don't specifically think about that could make you money over the long term. And then again, we talk about generational wealth. That's something else that you can look at. So I would say the fear really stood out to me, Bjorn, and then how much fear we do have if something were to happen or we would lose our jobs and, and what that would look like. But the book really spun it in a way of like, no, you know, this is an opportunity. This is another way of looking at something. Right. I think one of the other impactful parts of the book is he tries to, I guess, make this concept meant for the common person. We probably both know people in our life, Joe, where we look at, they might have a side gig or they might have a few different businesses, or maybe they have a few different properties or whatever. And I'm not going to lie. I look at the people I know in my life that have multiple sources of income. And I just think like, well, I always justified them. I was like, well, yeah, they don't have as many kids as I have, or they, well, they're just super creative or, oh, well, they got started when they could. I kind of use a lot of different justifications to help explain to myself why. I shouldn't be thinking about some of those things. And I think in, he really does a good job of helping a large group of people understand that it's not really rocket science. Like in that quote you just shared, I mean, it's just about being bold and having courage to take a little bit of a risk. And now with just so many different ways to earn income, you could work part-time for an Uber or like a DoorDash. You can invest in like a real estate investment trust where you're not buying properties, but you're buying like shares of a property. There's just like with information sharing, I mean, Airbnb, right? Just like all these different ways where I guess kind of commoditized the ability for just the the average American to get into some of these things. When he's writing this book, he probably is putting himself in a camp that not a whole lot of people could approach. You know, he got into properties like he had thousands of dollars to invest in some of those. But in today's day and age, I mean, there are just so many ways to be creative and diversify income sources, tools that can help you manage your expenses and kind of even do it for you to help you stay disciplined. And so technology really has amped in this area.
Illyria. And I think that gives us sort of, I don't know if you felt this, but I guess I kind of felt like I have maybe like less excuses now <laughs> to yeah, not yeah, to not be thinking about some of these things. And it sounds yeah, like it got you kind of thinking too about some oh, different investment opportunities. But were, were there any that you, like any that popped to the top for you that you were like, oh man, I got to really look at that. I will say he, he mentioned there's a number of comments about just the stock market and starting up small businesses. And I want to say he specifically stated something about small cap stocks. So just, you know, getting them in their infancy. But he also said out of 10 investments he would do, eight of them would fail and then two of them would rise to the top. So it really showed me that when thinking about this, I don't want to put all my eggs in one basket. But I will tell you, Bjorn, yes, I've been looking a lot closer at the stock market, looking at the stocks I do have, looking at what can I do with this? How can I make this move? And then honestly, I started diving more into some classes about just learning about the stock market. The book did state, you know, it's good to take classes. It's good to constantly educate yourself yep. on things that you like. And I will say the stock market really started to come to the forefront. So I will tell you, I am going to be attending a couple of these stock market classes just to learn more about it in general. YouTube videos too. I've been watching YouTube videos more about stocks. So it really showed me a different way to look at this. And I will tell you, I'm also a frequent Zillow user. So I'm always looking at properties, looking at property values. I know right now it seems everything is rising and rising and the interest rates are high right now, but there's always opportunity. It's just, you have to get around the fear and you have to take a bold step. And in the real world, you know, reading this book, I think about, well, I can't do that. I, I make so many excuses. I make so many justifications of why, oh, I wouldn't be able to do that. Or I, I don't have enough time for that. Or I couldn't do that. It comes back to, to the fear. It comes back to cynicism. You know, I can't make money off of that. But this book really showed me that no, pause, take a breath and look at things. And, and this might be the opportunity that will allow you to start that passive income stream. Yep. So open, yeah. it opened my eyes, Bjorn, 100%. For sure. Yeah. Hopefully those listening have appreciated getting to listen to the Life Money You podcast too, because our goal really is to make learning about these things enjoyable and improve your financial literacy education, whatever you want to call it. But just to have it be stories that we're telling, you know, about people that have done different things. And we're trying to be super practical because I think that's, I think, what a father of four, I'm married, I've got a busy job. It can be hard to think about having the time and the desire to look into some of these things. But if you just do a little bit, you know, if you just get started, like we both have talked a lot about Audible and how that kind of got us into like, oh my gosh, like I can read a book in a week, you know, like that's amazing by listening to it. Just things like that. Like you could just go on YouTube and do a little bit of research on the stock market, or maybe you want to get into property ownership, or maybe you want to look into franchising something, or maybe you want to sell cookies because you're really good at baking. Taking small steps. I think that to me, it's so interesting, isn't it? That we talked a lot about courage and overcoming fear, that it's like the smallest step in the whole journey, which is also the hardest step is like the first step, which is so interesting, isn't it? Because it's like, if if you say like, if I think about starting my own business, that feels like too much of a task right now. Like I can't even imagine that. It's like when people see me and ask how many kids I have and I say I have four and they're like, oh, I can never do that. You know, it's like, well, (laughs) I didn't think I could have four kids right off the bat either, but you work up to it. You work up to it. And so it's the same concept, but it's just what an interesting test of human behavior and psychology that it's almost harder to take the first step, which is often the easiest step because it's the smallest step. You know, you're just like, I'm just going to go do a little research. I'm going to read a book. I'm going to listen to a podcast. I'm going to talk to a mentor. Those are really easy steps that sort of start to crack that door open into a different world. And we don't even always realize what's happening there. And yet so many of us don't ever do it. We just don't ever take that step. And so I just encourage anyone listening, if you are thinking about any of these principles that we've talked about, growing your financial education, diversifying your income, overcoming 
overcoming, you know, fear and having kind of a life that allows you to take some risks and use the skills that you have and make your money work for you, taking just a small step in that direction, realizing that it doesn't have to be perfect. You don't have to do it all at once. You, I mean, yeah. how many things in yeah. our life, Joe, have we done all at once? You know, like we, like almost nothing. We, right. we've, we've had to work up to it. You didn't step learn step. everything in your first year of school. You did kindergarten, first grade, second grade, third grade, fourth, you know, and you did college and I did grad school. You work up to it. You work up to everything in life. And so that is probably another major takeaway from the book is that he's just trying to get you intrigued enough to get started, knowing that you don't become a millionaire like he did overnight. But like he also is arguing that it wasn't as hard as most people make it out to be either because he just invested in the right things. Yeah. And I definitely picked that up from the book. And I will say that the one step at a time reminded me of that famous uh, quote, there's only one way to eat an elephant. And that is a bite at a time. Yep. And it's just, you know, everything in life that seems daunting, overwhelming, and even impossible can be accomplished gradually by taking on just a little at a time. And this includes, you know, picking the book up, right? Going to the library, getting audible, just starting the process really starts to get your wheels turning. And that's definitely what happened for me. I will say, Bjorn, after a lot of years of putting off reading the book, and again, you know, you kind of attribute that to laziness or just not doing it because, oh, the book, it's so big. There's so much information there. I'm really glad I did it. I'm really glad we dove into this and we were able to go ahead and take a look at the options that the book gave us and just a different way of thinking. For sure. Well, how about let's talk about one more topic that he covered here. And he made this kind of interesting point in the book that most people work for the government. (laughs) He was basically making the point that like, if you work, your day job is sort of what you do every day. You have no other kind of ways of making income that you basically work to pay taxes. That was kind of an interesting point that he made. And we're not a political podcast here, but I'm responding to the book that and the comment that he made on that. And I just had never really thought about it like that. Did you have any takeaways on that concept at all? Yeah, that was an interesting concept that made me do a double take and take a look <laughs> at, wow, how much am I paying? But just taking a look to just the tax bracket that I'm currently in. And these are things too that I don't know that we stop and think about. You know, we don't think about the tax brackets. We don't think about how much we're actually paying. And it really, I dove in and I took a look at it and I was kind of taken aback as to what we do pay. It was just an interesting viewpoint. And, and just to point out that there's something that we just simply, for the most part, don't think about day in and day out. And I'm glad he pointed it out. I, I It made me stop and look at what am I paying in taxes? Like, yeah. oh, wow. That would be actually like, a good step for anyone listening is just now that we're, we've kind of gotten to the end of 2023, it'd be good to just look at how much you pay in taxes. And we have to do that. So we're going to do that. But it is an interesting exercise. And then look at that amount and just sort of dream about what else you might do with that money. What else could it go toward? And then he gives some different ideas on tax favorable to the individual strategies that you can utilize. So like the one with real estate is that if you sell a investment property and you have a gain on it, you can actually avoid paying taxes on it by doing what's called a 1031 exchange, where you basically take what you've earned and put it into another property. And so what he does, he just kind of like worked up to it. He, I think he started with like a smaller property of sorts or whatever, and he sold it and then he took what he earned there. And he did like the bigger and better type of thing where you roll it over into the next thing. Yeah. Yeah. And then now what he loves about real estate, obviously, is that if you can earn enough income, to earn to get some cash flow out of that in your personal life and pay for like the mortgage that you have to take out on it. You basically have just this machine that's working in the background and you get the value of the asset of the home hopefully growing over time. And then you're, you know, eventually you can kind of walk away with a pretty decent positive increase to your asset side of your balance sheet because you've got all this wealth gained from the value of the property and the income that you've earned along the way. So, I mean, I definitely think real estate's something worth looking into. I think there are 
components to that that not everybody's interested in. Like you said, Joe, he talks about areas of his passion that he has. And I think I would encourage anyone listening that it doesn't have to just be that. Like you should do something that you're passionate about that feels easy and that's fun and that's creative for you because that's when you'll actually, you'll stick with it when times get hard. And for some people, the thought of having renters and having to to show up at 1 a.m. to fix a leaky toilet or something is not something that sounds very appealing. And so you can pay someone to do that, but there's other things you can do too. And that's just my encouragement is, you know, if you've got, you know, some time off this time of year or coming up in the future, I mean, my goodness, get out there and start learning about some different things that you're passionate about and just start. Open a note on your phone and write down some ideas. Go check out a podcast on side hustles. Listen back to some of our episodes on some different things. People Like go to, you know, sell things on Facebook oh, yeah. Marketplace. There's just a lot of different things that you can do that are have a low barrier to entry that can get your creative juices flowing and you never know where it'll lead to. And I think that's kind of what he's trying to implore to us is this kind of this rich mindset, I guess, maybe is is maybe a different way to even rephrase the book title, not just to get money, but to think the way that the wealthy think, which is not how most of us think. That's, I think, why it's just stood the test of time and how he's encouraged people to utilize his principles. Yeah. And, and also why the book is a bestseller. Now I see why. I see yep. why it's it's made the, made headlines for many years. So, Joe, any last takeaways that you have at all on the book? Yeah, I, it was a great book. I highly recommend it to anyone who wants to forward their finances or way of thinking about it. I definitely have some things that I want to look at in my own life. I would totally recommend it. And I, I just think the fear is what holds us back. So we've got to get around that and just one step at a time, you know, start today of what you're looking to do and what you want to do and then what you're good at too. So that, that's what that book really showed me. But I would say for everyone listening, take it day by day and, and just start somewhere, have a starting point. Yep. Totally. Yep. I think that would be my main, my main takeaway is just get started. Life is short and it's great to just explore and it may not go anywhere, but if you, even by taking a step forward of having some courage to, you know, look into starting your own business or growing your financial education, you'll start to realize that it's not as scary as you might've thought and it'll help you the next time too. And so sometimes we all need a little bit of a push to go and try new things or explore new things. And so consider this your push, uh, <laughs> This is it right to, here. This is the wake-up call. <laughs> exactly. And so hopefully this has been insightful, helpful. We'll have the link to the book in the show notes if you want to get a copy of Rich Dad, Poor Dad yourself. But Joe, thanks so much for helping me think through that and, and obviously applying it to our life because we know that life happens, money is important, and we're here for you always with practical tips on how to improve your financial life. And so thanks everyone for listening. Thanks so much for listening over the last many months we've been doing this. And hopefully it's been beneficial to you to hear more about how to make improvements to your financial life. And we think that some of these books that we're reading and reviewing are worth your time because they can take some of these ideas even further than we're able to on the podcast. So Joe, thanks again for joining us. And uh, always a pleasure. Yeah, you'll be back, I know, for our next read. And so looking forward to that. But thanks, everyone. And I hope you have a great rest of your day.